three. We're actually moving on a little bit. We're in the fourth verse of chapter 3 after spending a few weeks in the first three verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through verse 9 is what I want to look at this morning. Beginning in verse 4, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested, that is, he was made known, to take away our sins. And in him, this is referring to Jesus, in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him, that is, in Jesus, does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or made known, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Father, we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to, to, to glean from this passage this morning. To, we ask that you grant us understanding. We'd ask that you would fill us with your spirit again that we might just hear your voice. That you would teach us that which you desire for us to know about this passage. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. You notice that in this letter that it, it, there's been a lot of repetition and a lot of talk about the subject of sin, a lot of talk about the subject of abiding, uh, which we will end with this morning. But what, what's interesting about this is he, ta- he says, who, he Whoever commits sin, verse 4, commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Um, He who sins is of the devil, verse 8. And, um, but whoever has been born of God does not sin. So, if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, because I like to throw these little curveballs out. Chapter 1, verse 8, it says that, again, I knew, um, it's actually not 1 John 1, 8. Uh, no, I'm looking at 1 John 2, 8. That's part of my problem. Okay. Uh, first, it is 1 John 1, 8. I'm back. All right. Where it says in verse 8, it says of chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then, of course, the verse that, that I quoted before communion, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have no sin, we're, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But then he's saying in verse 3, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Then he also says in verse 6 of verse 3, whoever abides in him does not sin. Are you confused yet? I was. 
I remember hearing this, especially when I was younger growing up, and just how, uh, how confusing it, it, it really felt. So I think we're just going to leave you in that tension this morning, so let's go ahead and close in prayer. No, I'm kidding. All right. Um, let's try to resolve this a little bit. And I, and I think part of the key here, again, is in the Greek grammar, which does not come across in the English. Um, because the idea of translating language is, is not an easy task. It's actually an art and a science. Um, and particularly in the Greek, they have different verb tenses. Remember, verbs are the action words, right? They have different tenses that don't completely uh, equate in translation into the English tense. So in other words, you lose something in the translation, all right? But what is going on here in chapter 3 is that most of the action words, most of the verbs are in what's called the present tense. Present tense in the Greek is a little different. It's talking about an action that is in the process or in the state of being with no assessment of the action's completion. Remember, I've used the example uh, before of talking about present tense. We would use, in the Greek, we would use present tense, Mike is teaching, right? We wouldn't talk about Mike finishing his teaching. That's not, that's not a reference uh, in, the, in the Greek grammar. That wouldn't be a reference to me teaching from start to beginning. It just talks about being in the process of that moment. Does that make sense? Or even better, uh, uh, you are breathing. That's the better one, isn't it? You are breathing. Because hopefully you will continue to breathe for many, many, many years, whether you have to wear a mask or not. But anyway, I had to throw that in just for fun. But uh, this idea that it is a continuous action. Now, when we talk about verbs in a continuous action, when we are talking about how we are to conduct our lives. It is talking about the framework and the attitudes and the understanding that drives how we live. In other words, our lifestyle, our worldview, if you want to use that uh, particular uh, phrase. And, and how, how do we live? Now, because each one of us have probably sinned already today, right? Um, Anybody hasn't? Go ahead and raise your hand so we can all... No, I'm kidding. Um, We probably have already sinned today at least once, probably more than once Um, because that is our bent. But the question is, and what, what John is driving at here in the third chapter is not so much whether you sin or don't sin, but what is your lifestyle? What is your focus? What, better said, what are you committed towards? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I was having weird dreams last night. I don't know what that was about either. But I woke up this morning going, you know, the first thing I always ask, like, what is today? Right? I was like, oh, yeah, I better get up because it's Sunday. And... Uh, or else I'll call Larry and say, hey, Larry, <laughs> take care of it for me, will you please? <laughs> and uh, No, I'm kidding. But uh, uh, the purpose that we get out of bed in the morning, 
even if you don't have a particular thing that you have to do in that day. Some of you are retired, so it, at times it seems like every day kind of is the same, doesn't it? You know, and that's why, well, I guess I'm not retired, but anyway, um, as you get older, it's like, what day is this now, right? Um, yeah, you get a lot to look forward to, don't you? But anyway, um, what gets you out of bed? What moves you? What drives your heart? What gives you a sense of purpose? Probably even better, what gives you a sense of belonging? And we are either going to cleave to the things of God and therefore cleave to God, desiring to live our lives in a way that is pleasing toward him, or we're going to seek something else. But that great, and I've shared this with you before, guys, that great theologian, Bob Dylan, right? He said what? You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. I'm, I'm not going to sing that for you. Um, but it's, it's, it's great theology. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord. But you've got to serve somebody. So, what John is talking about here is whoever commits. Now, it, you, and I have in, on, in my Bible, I have the word practice. I don't know if any of you with different translations in verse 4 have the word practice, where it was said, whoever practices sin. Um, what's interesting about this is that um, in verse 7, it said, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteousness. What's interesting about this is, and I'm going to throw this at her early for you to start thinking about this word com, uh, uh, commits, he who commits sin, he who practices righteousness, it's, it's pretty much the same Greek word. You can see where the translators will, will take a little latitude with some of these things, but it, but it brings up about this whole idea. In verse 4, whoever commits sin, whoever practices sin also practices or commits lawlessness. I really wish they would have put practices in there because that really identifies better this idea of a lifestyle because everyone sins, right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, again, if we, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, that verse, verse 4 of chapter 3 does not make verse 1 of chapter 8 go away. You've got to reconcile them, right? That's, that's how we understand uh, the Bible. And a lot of people don't do that. They like to pick out the verses they like. And they like to ignore the ones they don't like. And then, then they end up with kind of a truncated system of theology because they, they have not taken within uh, into their understanding of the full counsel of God. And I understand why people do that because there are simply things in here that are very difficult to understand. And sometimes we get really dogmatic about what we think we believe because we have not studied the Bible well enough to understand that there are other points of view that bear consideration. But if you practice sin, you also practice lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. So this, this word sin is, is, is interesting because it's the Greek word harmatia, 
Um, it's used by a soldier, particularly an archer. Back in those days, they had, a, they had the archery, right? We could say today a sniper. But it's used by a soldier when he misses the target or he misses his enemy or when the sniper zeroes in on his target and then misses. And it literally means to miss the mark. It could also be used for someone who is a traveler Someone who is a traveler and they're driving down the road and they miss their exit. Ever done that? I'll never forget we drove across country. Everybody should drive across country at least once. I think probably most of you have. 1966, we drove across country. Um, and my dad was the driver and my mom was the navigator. That was a recipe for disaster, right? They, they had the AAA. They had, remember the maps? Right? You didn't have an app, okay? You had paper maps that you unfolded, and you could never get those things folded right, for starters. And so they'd rip and they would tear. And so um, somewhere, I think, in Pennsylvania, uh, we're heading for New England. Somewhere in Pennsylvania, my, uh, my dad missed an off-ramp. And, of course, guess whose fault it was? Okay. And I think we were, like, probably close to 100 miles out of the way. Um, and had to double back. That made it for quite an interesting travel through the state of Pennsylvania. So I have fond memories of your, of your home, uh, B. Of your home state. B's from Pennsylvania. But uh, my dad missed the mark. He missed the on-ramp. He missed the exit. And like it is so many of the times when we sin, we like to do what? Blame it on someone else. It's convenient. You know, I mean, there's maps all over the car. I mean, how in the world? Because we went from California all the way to New England, all right? And, and um, like I said, you, everybody needs to do it at least once. Um, so I've got that ticket punched, I guess. But I want, one of these days, these days, I want to do it again. But um, that's what sin is. And so when you miss the on-ramp, you're, you know, and of course, what did he do to make up that 100-mile deficit? You know what he did to make up the 100-mile deficit. He put his foot on the floor. And, uh, and we sped through the state of Pennsylvania um, to get back on track because we were supposed to be in Erie, New York that night. And, and, and so such as it is, when you miss the mark, then you're prone to take it a step further. See, that's the problem with sin, is that once you've sinned, you're always prone to take it a step further. And, and so uh, w- what becomes, what becomes um, something that you indulge in? What becomes something that you indulge in? And you can fill in your own blank on this. I'm not going to do it for you. But eventually, uh, when you do it over and over and over again, what it becomes is what? I have it. And then after you've given yourself over to a habit for a long period of time, it becomes what? It becomes a lifestyle. And then once it becomes a lifestyle, if you don't interrupt, if you don't interrupt that, that, that process, that behavior, it becomes a destiny. So an indulgence becomes a habit that becomes a lifestyle that becomes a destiny. 
and people live their whole lives that way, that they are enslaved to things that they would rather not even be enslaved to because they don't want to break the cycle because once they have sinned, once they have missed the on-ramp or off-ramp or the exit, once they have missed the mark, then they have all this kind of catching up that they feel that they need to do. See, that's why sin is so devastating. Rather than if we confess our sins, again, back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a stretch in that analogy, but if we confess the sin of missing the on-ramp or the exit, Christ cleanses us from that and he restores us and he gets us in Erie, New York at the right time. Does that make sense? In other words, he does. He comes and he, we just sang it, he, making all things new because his blood speaks a better word in our lives if we allow it. So, he who practices sin also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was made known. That word manifest is a, is a nice Bible word for made known. Verse 5, you know that he was made known to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So this is a veiled declaration, again, where John has all of these places in his letters and also in his gospel where he has these declarations that are veiled. Some of them are very blatant, by the way, of what? Of Christ's deity, of who Jesus is, because he is sinless. This is not talking about the fact that so much that Jesus uh, not only did not commit sin, but, but it argues really that Jesus did not have a sin nature. Why? Because he's divine. Because he's God. So he did not have a sin nature. He was made known to take away our sins, which he did on the work of the cross. Uh, and in him there is no sin. We have a sin nature, don't we? Each and every one of us. Some of us more than others, maybe. Okay. I'll look at the ceiling. Don't want to do any eye contact right now. But anyway, um, And that's why we needed a Savior. Because we do have a sin nature. When we get done here this morning, we will, some of you will go, all of us, all of us will go out and sin again, won't we? I don't get any head nods. Okay, that's good. Because that is our nature. But we have the work of Jesus Christ who was made known Jesus Christ, God comes in the flesh. That's what it's talking about. God coming in the flesh to do, put away with sin because the reality is all those sins that you have committed, all those sins that you haven't yet committed yet, but you're going to, he paid the bill for that. He covered that. He paid for that on the cross with his own blood, with his own body. That's why we do and celebrate communion. That's why we often, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because we recognize that the work of Jesus Christ is a finished work. That's why when he finally dismissed his spirit on the cross, what did he say? You guys know this. What did he say? He says, it is finished. You could also stretch it's not a huge stretch, by the way, but it is a bit of a stretch. You could stretch that to where he might have said something to the effect of paid in full. 
In other words, he paid the price of our penalty for us. We receive him. We commit our lives to him. Again, practice again. What are you committed toward? Or what do you commit yourself to do? Or what things, how do you decide to live our lives? Are we going to live our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin? Or are we just going to do whatever it is that we want to do? He was made known. He was manifest to take away our sins because in him is no sin. He was the perfect lamb of God, which John the Baptist said about him in the earlier part of the gospel of John. Behold the lamb of God that does what? He takes away the sins of the world. And I, I've already referred to it earlier, but these things just keep running around in my head, particularly on mornings when we have communion, that God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. While we were yet in a relationship with God that was contentious, not when we were buddies, Not when we were friends, but we, when we were at odds with each other. He laid his life down for us. So then he goes on in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, that is, just as Jesus is righteous. So remember... Part of the reason why this book, excuse me, this letter was written was that John is addressing false doctrine, false teachings about who they thought Jesus was. And so he is again reminding them, don't be deceived. And in other words, To some degree, you need to listen to what comes out of a person's mouth, but more so you have to watch their lifestyle and see how they live. Now, that's dangerous. Why is that dangerous? Because nobody lives up to it. Nobody lives up to it. You know, if we followed each other around long enough, we'd be like, aha, he does that, or hmm, she said that. You know, and and we, we all have those areas that we are struggling Uh, with but what John is trying to bring out he's he's making a contrast here instead of practicing sin fill in your own blank there instead of practicing sin practice righteousness we talked about righteousness actually on Wednesday night as we were looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and this idea of righteousness that we are in a right place in our relationship between us and God and because we're in a right place between us and God that that rightness is going to be extended toward the people that we come in contact with. So righteousness is first primary, primarily between us and God, but it is also made known, manifest, if you will, by how we love our neighbor as ourselves. He who practices righteousness or he who... Uh, commits righteousness he who does who commits righteous acts rather than sinful acts is a righteous person that's what he's saying here now 
the best way to handle this? Because I know how people like to look at this. Hmm, okay, so I'm going to start watching everybody else and see who's righteous and see who's not. And we become a policeman and want to watch over what everybody else is doing. But you know what the problem with that is? You know what the biggest problem with that is? The very worst problem with that is we then do not look at the person in the mirror. Because this is written primarily to us. And for us to take before God and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. And see if there be any wickedness in me. Not in them. And lead me in the way of understanding. Often we want to do just the opposite of that. But the reality is when we go there and we turn that into an indulgence which becomes a habit, it becomes a lifestyle and it becomes a destiny of someone who is nothing more than just a Pharisee. And so, yes, yes, we are to, we will know them by their fruits. Yes, we, we need to go through life with our eyes open. I understand all that and hopefully you understand where I'm coming from with this. But primarily, I look at this, and it's like I, I, need, I need to examine my own heart. And I would say to each of you, you need to examine your own heart on this. He who sins is of the devil. Isn't that hard? Remember, in some of these places, John is harsh, isn't he? John, John would, would never be, he would never get the political correct of the month award for this particular letter. But he's calling it as it is. And often it is, is that we would rather be killed by praise than saved by criticism. That's who we are as people. We'd rather be destroyed by praise than, than saved by criticism. Again, that theologian Bob Dylan, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. I'm tempted to sing it, but I won't. You'd never let me down if I did. So anyway, especially in Bob Dylan style. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The devil has sinned from the beginning. We see this, and I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but in Ezekiel, thir- uh, uh, Isaiah 13, Ezekiel, I believe 26, where you have this this kind of, dualistic expression between the kings of the earth and Lucifer where he sinned at the beginning because he became proudful and he wanted to be as the most high. He wanted to be as the most high. You ever wanted to be God? Sure you have. Sure you have. Maybe not of the entire world, but of your world, of your destiny. And so, maybe at times we're not quite so different than Satan than we want to think.
because the devil has sinned from the beginning, but for the purpose the Son of God was made known. For this purpose he was made known, verse 8, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, I'm almost already out of time, and I'm about a third of the way through my outline. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In John 8, 44, which I don't have in front of me, I need to turn to it. Jesus is speaking to religious leaders. Speaking to the Pharisees. He's not speaking to the poor people. He's not speaking to the people who spent the night in the bar last night. He's speaking to people who are religious leaders, and he says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Then he goes on to tell them, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Isn't that ironic? But isn't that so true about how we are? Think about everything that's going on today. Again, I go to Facebook and I just want to look at pictures of golden retrievers and forget the rest of it because it's, it's, it's so uninformed or misinformed. But Jesus came, back to John, 1 John chapter 3, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Because the devil is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And, and, God, what was the name of that band? Grateful Dead. Isn't that an oxymoron? Okay. The friend, one of their songs, a friend of the devil, remember, is a friend of mine. Some of you know it. Okay, anyway. Really? The friend of a devil is a friend of mine? The one who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning? Jesus says in John 8, this is who you want to be friends with? I've talked to people that they, of course this is dated now, but uh, they, they, they wanted to go to hell because they thought they go to hell and they're going to go down there and party with Motley Crue, right? Okay. And and raise all kinds of hell, okay? And have a real good time. But you see, that's a lie. Because Satan is the enemy of your soul. Jesus is the lover of your soul. And he was made known so that he might destroy the works of the devil. John 10.10 says the thief does not come. He's he's referring to Satan here. Jesus is speaking. He says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Boy, that's someone who I want to sing about a friend of the devil as a friend of mine. To kill, to steal, to kill and destroy. 
Jesus came to set us free from all that nonsense. He was made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then it goes on in verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. All right? In other words, does not practice sin. Do people who are born of God backslide? Yeah. Do people who are born of God make bad decisions? Yeah. Do people who are born of God sometimes live a lifestyle of sin? Yeah. Remember I've told you about a friend of mine that we were in in the worship team uh, together when we were in Lake Tahoe. He got saved and then he he basically walked away from God for probably a, a time span of a little more than 20 years. And he, he's sitting on the couch one day drinking a beer. And, and he, he sees this, this news article about Israel. And he said he almost spit his beer across the living room because just in that, that news article, God got a hold of his heart. 20 plus years of not walking with Jesus. And then one day through a news article on television, God grabs a hold of his heart again. See, he won't let you go. He might let you go for a while. He may let you stray around for a while. Yes, we all have those issues with sin in our lives. Yes, but whoever is born of God does not practice a lifestyle of sin. And if you start going down that way, one of the fail-proof things that you are his child is that he won't let you go very long. Now, 20 years seem like a long time to me, but that's this guy's story. Because his seed... This is the reason why. His seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. His seed remains in him. I've told you guys this story several times when I was hiding out from God and I'm down in Mississippi. And I'm walking down the road. I'm heading to a bar, actually. I'm walking down the road. And I see this this poster on, you know, billboard. Remember billboards? They don't have those anymore, do they? Well, a few. Okay, they have a few of those. But anyway, it's a Christian musician named Keith Green, and he's going to be in concert. And I remember seeing that, and it just, I'm like, I'm not going, right? It, but it completely convicted me, and I just thought, oh, God, even in this God-forsaken place, if you've ever been to Mississippi, you'd understand that. Even in this God-forsaken place, you have found me. And it touched my heart. Now, I still went to the bar anyway, but it, it did. But it touched my heart. And, and it, that seed that was planted in me when I gave my life to Jesus Christ as an eight-year-old boy, that seed that was planted in me when I was living a life of sin haunted me. And it gave me no peace. And I couldn't turn it off. Some of you, even before you were saved, you lived those type of lifestyles, but you also had that type of experience that deep down inside your own soul, you knew that what you were doing was not fulfilling. You knew that what you were doing was, was not working. And that's the voice, the movement of the Spirit of God within your own soul that is calling you unto Him. See, the key here, a minute or two and we'll be done. The key here again, and, and we see, have seen this, I've said this to you several times as we're going through this letter. The key here is that we abide in him. 
That is, we live in him. That is, we make a commitment to walk as Jesus has called us to walk. And you will not do it perfectly. And you will probably always be in a place where you should have done it better. But we're called to make that abiding commitment. That's what this word abide means. And we see this again in verse John, just a couple of verses before this. And it says in verse 28 of chapter chapter 2, Now little children, abide in him. There's that calling to abide in him, that when he appears, uh, you will have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Abide in him. Philippians 3, 9 says, And I am where Paul is speaking, and he says, I am found in him, that is, I am found in Christ Jesus. My identity is in him. He is how I live my life. And he goes on to say, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He was one of the ones that Jesus said that you are of your father the devil in John chapter uh, uh, 8. My own righteousness, not having my own righteousness, but, uh, which is from the law, but that which is through Christ, excuse me, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God in faith. The righteousness which is from God in faith. So I have God's righteousness. You have God's righteousness. If you have trusted in him as Lord and Savior and you have that righteousness, whether you are living good, semi-good, not so good, or you're living like the devil, you still have that righteousness because of what he did. Not because of what you do. And if you go out and live like the devil, I know that if you are truly his child, he will make your life miserable until you return. See, he gives us a lot of freedom. He gives us a lot of freedom. Now, some of us, he, he has us on kind of a short leash, right? I feel like I'm on a short leash. That's part of why I'm a pastor, I think. I think all pastors are on short leashes because they need to be, all right? But it's a righteousness from God, which is through faith, through trusting in him, through believing in him, through receiving him as Lord and Savior, and then going forth from that commitment and saying, I'm now going to live in a way that's going to honor you, and I'm not going to do it fully, I'm not going to do it completely, I'm not going to do it 100%, but my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Amen? My salvation is about him, and it's dependent upon him. Because if it was dependent upon me, man, I would be in a lot of trouble. And you know what? So would you. So would you. But what a great God we have who was made known to destroy the works, the lies, and the murderous actions of the devil so that we might walk in life with him. Amen? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great faithfulness to us. We thank you for your love that was demonstrated to us that why we were yet sinners that you died for us. 
We thank you for the faith that you've given us that we have trusted in you. And Lord, we do not look to our works of either righteousness or unrighteousness, but we look to you who loved and gave yourself for us. We pray, Lord, for those that are away this week that you would give them safe trips home, for those that are ill, for healing upon their bodies. Lord, help us this week to walk in the righteousness and to practice righteousness because you are righteous. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.